today on Ag News Daily. For example, um, our, our sensors are crop agnostic. So it's about the data, not the crop specifically. And so what that means is... Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast, sponsored today by Performance Livestock Analytics, which we'll get to more here in just a little bit. But I'm, of course, Delaney Howell, joined by Ashton Carr and Mike Pearson. Guys, how are you doing today? It sounds like the podcast went well yesterday. It did. I'm doing really well. Me and Mike kind of held down the fort yesterday. Absolutely, we did. Had a great conversation. <coughs> excuse me, with our good friend Jim McCormick from AgMarket.net, and uh, really kind of took a look at the markets, which today kind of pulled in a little different direction. Which we will get to, of course, before we get to our hashtag Tech Tuesday interview. In the interim, we still have news happening in the world of agriculture. Ashton, what headlines are you watching today? Of course. I'm watching the dicamba news. We've been reporting on it for the past couple of episodes, but late Monday afternoon after Mike and I had already had our discussion about dicamba, the EPA announced that it's canceling the registrations of the three dicamba products that were um, subject to a, the Ninth Circuit Court ruling, and it will allow growers and applicators to use their existing stocks through July 31st. <sighs> Well, that is a nice piece of clarification. So that will supersede the state rulings, and I think it supersedes all the state rulings. Ashton, was there any comment about how that works? Not really in the article that I was reading, but I did see a headline. I didn't pull it up that... um an ag lawyer somewhere in the Midwest was saying uh, that states could just go ahead and basically do what they so chose with the dicamba ruling. But I, I know that the EPA announced that um, it's allowing to use those existing stocks through July 31st. All yeah, right. I think the other thing um, that I find really interesting about that, too, is if you had the chemical in your possession, I think before June 3rd, or earlier, you can technically use it. So I'm wondering if we're going to see some sales of dicamba under the books that get backdated to prior to June 3rd. <laughs> Nobody would do that. Yeah, I know. I already saw people on Twitter that are, of course, asking for a friend. Uh, but I saw some tweets out there. I'm sure those were all just jokes. EPA, if you're listening, they're just joking. Uh-huh. Well, Delaney, what other headlines are you watching? What have you been keeping up to breast with up abreast with on Twitter? Well, the other thing I've been watching pretty closely was, of course, the crop progress numbers we got released yesterday afternoon. Yes, and yes, and we pushed the envelope pretty quickly, pretty heavily here over the last week. As of June seventh, ninety-seven percent of the twenty twenty corn crop was planted, three percent ahead of the five-year average. The other big piece of that was North Dakota has really gotten planted over the past two weeks and are sitting about 87% of their corn planted as of June 7th. 
on the soybean side of things, they're also moving quite quickly ahead with about 86% of U.S. soybeans planted, up 11% from the previous week. So we are definitely getting wrapped up here with planting. So now, Delaney, I know we had this discussion last year, and I don't quite remember how it worked out. I'm looking at those North Dakota acres, 80% planted. They've gotten 60% in the ground in three weeks, practically, or two weeks, really. I wonder if the 80% is 80% of acres that are going to be planted. Well, now right. that we passed the prevent plant date, I wonder if they're actually dropping off some of those acres that were never going to be planted. Yeah, I'm always confused about USDA's process because what about replanted acres or acres that are taking prevent plant claims on? You know, how do they factor those in? I don't know. Right. Yeah. So I guess we will, uh, we'll just have to dig into that a little bit, do a little research. Yes, we will have to do that. Well, I tell you what, I am looking down in the Southern Hemisphere for some of today's news down in Argentina. Of course, Argentina is the world's leading exporter of soy products. They're not a huge, well, they are a decent exporter of whole beans, but Argentina really makes their money in processing soybeans into meal and oil and shipping that. Well, earlier this year, actually right around the first of the year, one of the largest soybean processing companies, I believe it's pronounced Vicentin, V-I-C-E-N-T-I-N, declared bankruptcy. Um, Vicentin has continued to operate. They do have a couple of uh, kind of co-projects with other uh, grain giants, Glencore being one of them. And earlier today, it was announced by the governor, or excuse me, well, the president of Argentina, that the government is going to take over this bankrupt soybean processor. Um, it was announced today, the president, uh, oh shoot, Alberto Fernandez, he's the new president down there in Argentina. Remember, they opted to vote for the Socialist Party. They had a free market. Uh, Macri was in there as president. Now they've got a socialist president and he's kind of doing what socialists do using uh, the government to take over private industry. And uh, basically, he's saying they are doing this to stabilize the domestic soybean crushing industry and to keep the employees working, in addition to keeping an outlet for the 2,600 farmers that sell soybeans to Vicente. Uh, he says, we are sending Congress an expropriation bill so that the government takes over. Uh, don't know when the takeover would happen. And also, um, the government of Argentina didn't consult Glencore even though they have a massive uh, co-product project together called Renova. This was just announced by the government and it is going forward. Wow. That's quick. Yeah. Yeah. It's quick and it's kind of surprising. You know, I'm, I'm surprised they weren't able to find a buyer for Vicentin if they are, I mean, you know, who knows what's going on down there, but I think it'll be interesting. And typically when we see the government take over uh, industrial concerns, they do tend to lose some efficiency. So I wonder if over the long term, we'll start to see Argentina become less efficient in soybean processing. But that's speculation. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. We certainly will. Another thing we'll have to wait and see on is what's going to happen, what's going to shake out here between the UK and the United States with a trade deal we were extinct and anticipating the UK and the US to have some fast negotiations here, specifically for chicken and beef 
But British negotiators apparently won't lift restrictions that are on most U.S. beef and chicken. There's a ban right now. I think it has to do mostly with artificial growth hormones. But they're now saying they don't want to lift this ban, which is a big sticking point as they're negotiating free trade between the two countries. Interesting. You know, we went into those negotiations with uh, so much optimism. Delaney, you yeah. talk about that. It feels like just around the start of the year, it seemed like these things were going to go really quickly. But as always, little details emerge that make things tougher to complete. And in fact, while we're talking about free market news or trade deal news, we've kind of got an update on the USMCA that is expected to go into force on July 1st, so a little bit less than a month from now. All three countries, U.S., Mexico, and Canada, were expected to join hands and be in agreement on this new trade pact. However, there are still some details that are being discussed and negotiated, and whether or not that causes the whole deal to hang up remains to be seen. Some of the issues, um, particularly Florida and Georgia farmers, want to see some special provisions that would allow them to more easily petition for anti-dumping or countervailing duties on Mexico. Basically, they're worried that if USMCA goes into a effect as written, we could see Mexicans selling more of the fruits and vegetables produced in Georgia and Florida at cheaper prices. They want some kind of protection for their growers. So that's an issue. Also, Mexicans are concerned that the U.S. is doing more border inspections. Mexico agreed to this in the text of the agreement, but um, basically they only agreed to it as far as tomatoes are concerned. The Trump mm. administration has been pushing for more inspections overall for agricultural products, and that could be an issue. In addition, uh, there is some concern about President Trump's comments that we talked about on the podcast about uh, not entering trade agreements with uh, live cattle exporters, of which Mexico is one, and that would basically nullify this whole USMCA. So that remains to be seen. And there is also some pushback on the Mexican side about allowing the imports of glyphosate. So they're not objecting to the importation of Roundup-ready crops. They're actually potentially objecting to the import of the chemical glyphosate itself, a lot of which is manufactured here in this country. So those are some things that are, that are going to have to be worked out here before July 1st, or we could see a pause in USMCA implementation, or perhaps maybe the whole deal goes away. We'll just have to watch and see. I hope not. That's kind of worst case scenario, I suppose. Yeah, that is the that is the worst case scenario. If it were to go away, NAFTA would remain in place mm, okay. uh, as of right now. That's a good uh, good little sidebar piece of note there, because I think people would be concerned that we'd have no trade deal in place. But you're right, right. it does revert back. Yep. As of now, nobody has officially pulled out of NAFTA. So that would be the trade deal, the laws that are in effect. All right. Well, I wanted to make sure and share this other piece of news yesterday. You guys know I was not on the podcast. I was actually at the Farm Progress Showgrounds in Boone doing a little story for This Week in Agribusiness, Mike. But I wanted to dispel any rumors because I think there have been some rumors floating around that we're not going to have Farm Progress Show. But that is not the case. It is full steam ahead. They are putting in some new social distancing measures and taking some precautions to make sure everybody feels safe that we'll be attending Farm Progress Show this year. But they've done quite a bit of farmer grower research that shows people are still excited, still wanting to come connect, touch, see 
an experience farm progress show. So I think those dates are the first through the fourth, if I'm not mistaken, of September. Absolutely. Yeah, it is going to be that time we're going to be able to get out of our houses, get off the farms, get out there, mix and mingle with some folks. And if you're concerned about coronavirus, be sure to bring a mask. Yes, definitely. Well, Ashley, do you have any other headlines you're keeping an eye on today? I do, actually. I have one more that I was looking at today, and it's about a global open letter highlighting the importance of animal agriculture, especially during COVID-19. About 70 organizations and individuals from around the world have endorsed an open letter addressing the misinformation around animal agriculture during COVID-19. And so Emily Solis, uh, the communication specialist for the Animal Agriculture Alliance, is behind the letter. And she said that the purpose was really to refute some of the claims that animal rights activists have really been driving this narrative that animal agriculture is supposedly to blame for the current pandemic. So the letter is calling for governments and authorities to reassure consumers that domestic livestock production is safe and has not played a role in the spread of COVID-19. I'm glad they're getting that out there because I have seen that a few times on Facebook. My gut feeling is that folks have heard about these meatpacking plant outbreaks of COVID-19 and they're thinking it's coming through the meat. And, you know, it's nice they're clarifying that issue. See, and I thought the same thing when they were talking about how animal agriculture wasn't helping to spread coronavirus. And so it made me think, you know, we know what's going on with how it's spreading through meat packers, but maybe people who aren't in the industry really know about that. And so it kind of reassured me that consumers are kind of trying to get more information about that kind of stuff. And so we'll see if this uh, call to action really works. Yeah, at least the information is out there. If a consumer wants to look it up, they can Google and find 70 folks who, have, who know the meat industry and, and figure out some some facts. Certainly. And speaking of livestock industry, as I mentioned at the top of the show, before we hit the markets, today's episode is sponsored by Performance Livestock Analytics we've had on our program a few times. Do you know your break-even for every group of cattle on feed? Performance beef users have access to real-time, accurate data from anywhere. The easy-to-use technology simplifies everything from feeding to financials. It's never been easier to generate real-time closeouts, update rations, or analyze performance trends all in one place. You can find Performance Beef online to learn how you can increase accuracy and efficiency today. And Mike, I was just thinking, man, if you are still a cattle producer full-time, Performance Livestock Analytics is definitely an application you would have wanted to be using. Yeah, you know, absolutely it is. And it's one of those tools that the more I talk to folks in the cattle industry, I've never heard a bad thing about. So, I mean, I'd say if you're wondering how to control your costs or how to just track your costs, or if you can't measure it, you can't change it, Performance Beef lets you do all that. So check out their website for shizzle, as we say on the streets, which is, of course, where I am from. Well, Mike, thank you for that little narration. Uh, with that, do you want to lead us into the markets? You know 
Well, I suppose I do. It's not a bad day if you are feeding cattle. Feed prices came down a little bit. Not exactly an exciting day if you are looking at a corn crop growing out in the field. As of right now, we've got grains as of right now. As of the close, the grains are in the red all the way down the screen. Looking at corn, July corn down six and a quarter at 327 and a half to December down four and a quarter, closed at 343 and a quarter. Soybeans also lower, though, off their lows for the day. The July was down one and a half cents at 863 and a quarter. November down one and a half as well at 876 and a half. Wheat was kind of the big loser on the day, although also bounced off the lows to finish. July was down seven cents in Chicago at 504 and a half. December down six and a quarter at 521 and a quarter. Looking over at livestock, as the grains continue to fall apart, we did find additional strength throughout the day in the cattle complex. August live cattle up $1.4750 at 97.80. October up $1.20, closed 157 and a half. Feeder cattle, similar story, green on the screen. The August was up $1.17 half at 134.25. September up $1.0250 at 135.55. Lean hogs, however, could not claw their way back into green. The July was down a dollar at fifty-two ninety-seven half. The August also down a dollar at fifty-six eighty. Checking out the dairy market class three milk rally continues. There was a great story out by Farm Futures highlighting really what Naomi Bloom talked about two weeks ago. It is cheese that is driving this rally higher in a large part because as people are trapped at home. They're eating more frozen pizza. Class three milk June contract up 44 cents on the day at 2058. The July up 62 closed the day at 1956. Without further ado, let's learn how we can measure more of those things that are happening out in the field with our scout. Today on the podcast, we have Josh Krenz, the Chief Operating Officer of Earth Scout. Josh, why don't you give us a little bit of information about yourself as well as Earth Scout, just a little bit of background info. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thanks for letting me uh, participate today on your guys' uh, podcast and appreciate the opportunity. So a little bit about uh, Earth Scout and, uh, and myself. So Earth Scout is a uh, three-year-old uh, startup. And uh, Earth Scout is really in the business of helping farmers uh, get more data out of their fields and own that data themselves. And so what it is, is Earth Scout is a, a device that communicates off of a, a cellular network and has a series of sensors and probes that can help a farmer or grower or a farmer's advisor uh, understand some of those local parameters uh, that are going on in a field. Uh, whether it's uh, soil moisture or whether it's solar radiation and so forth. So uh, Earth Scout has spent the last three years uh, of R&D uh, with our parent company, a company called uh, Design Ready Controls, which has uh, 30 years in the, the uh, business of creating sensors in the HVAC industry. And you would say, well, why, how does HVAC have to do with agriculture? Um, in the HVAC industry, they use sensors like we would want to use in agriculture that sense things like humidity and moisture and temperature, oxygen, CO2, and so forth. Uh, same type of things we want to measure in agriculture, um, but they do it in the most harsh environments. So heat, humidity, uh, cool weather. And so the folks at um, Design Ready Controls had an agriculture background and three years ago wanted to uh, give back in their own way to agriculture. And so they started Scout. Um, dedicated a team of uh, 15 hardware and software engineers for the last three years 
uh, to uh, kind of perfect the Ear Scout as we know it today. And uh, been working hand in hand with growers during the last three years to to meet their needs. And this year is our our first year of uh, commercially selling that product, which is when I jumped on board here in March. Very cool, Josh. It's fantastic to see technology not just coming to farmers' offices, but actually getting out in the field. And so you mentioned the Earth Scout is a device with sensors. When you're working with growers now that you're rolling this out commercially, what type of sensors tend to be most popular or provide the, the best ROI to growers when they make these kind of investments in their fields? Yeah, no, Mike, great question. So the, the first part when we really look at it is kind of what is a grower's operation already look like and what are they trying to achieve today? Um, because what we do is, you know, we can provide data, which will lead to it, answer to your question here and what, what forms of sensors. So, for example, um, our, our sensors are crop agnostic. So it's about the data, not the crop specifically. And so what that means is based off of the crop and based off of how that farmer farms, the actual sensors will change. So right now, the most common conversations that we're having have a lot to do uh, based off crop segments. So if we're picking uh, row crops, a lot of questions are around soil moisture. So, um, and that's soil moisture, whether it's irrigated or, or whether it's rainfall. Uh, events either way and growers want to know you know what is that localized moisture yep we got lots of uh, data components today and software things and rain gauges we can put out there in the world and measure but what's actually getting into the root zone Um, and so that's a common question that we're getting right now row crops but also other crops Um, and and then another conversation I had recently was with an indoor uh, greenhouse uh, grower actually in uh, Puerto Rico and uh, we we're having a conversation about growing, you know, flowers and different things in a greenhouse. And that grower is really interested in humidity, uh, oxygen, CO2. So it really depends on, on the grower. Uh, but uh, we try to then customize what that grower is looking for based off their operation and then hook them up with the right sensors at that time. So, Josh, you haven't said any specific crops or anything like that. So does Earth Scout work with any kind of crop in any kind of condition? Yeah, the, the short answer is yes, it, it really does. Um, and the reason is, is because we're measuring agronomic uh, metrics. We're not measuring crop specific me- metrics. So, you know, so in the example of, of soil or soil media or hydroponics, in all those cases, you pick the crop, we still want to know what the temperature is that that crop is being grown in, no matter which one of those three or others that you would pick. Uh, In some cases, we want to know what the EC is. So we want to know what that salt level is within uh, the water or the soil or the media um, to understand the cation and anion exchange when a farmer uses a different fertilizer or has an irrigation event or a rain event and makes different nutrients available. The EC on our soil probe measures that. Or in that case, uh, um, you know, when we're looking at other things like solar radiation, everything, you know, has to go through some form of chlorophyll for the most part. So we need to, uh, in order to measure light, we have two different sensors, one for solar radiation, which is outdoor, and the other one is for quantum radiation measurement, which is indoor lighting. So in both those cases, it doesn't have to be crop specific. It's just agronomic specific based off of what agronomic things we're trying to measure. 
interesting. So Josh, talk us through a little bit what the actual Earth Scout device looks like. You've mentioned you've got a soil probe, but you're also sampling light, so you must have something above ground. What does the actual apparatus look like? What am I buying when I uh, get to work with Earth Scout? Yeah, absolutely. So so one thing, if you wanted to cheat, you can go to earthscout.com and you can check it out, right? But if I'm but if I'm um, wondering what it looks like otherwise, so so really what it is is it looks like a tripod. Um, it has a pole with, with some feet that you put in the ground if you're outside, or it actually has a tripod that would look like a camera stand almost if you're shooting photos outdoors that you can use in an indoor setting. And then it has a gray box on top of that that's about a, a six-inch by six-inch uh, box, which is really the brains. So the brains has, um, you know, all, that's where all of your hardware is that then runs all of your software components. So all your circuitry boards, all of your sensors plug in through the brains. And then if it's outdoor, it actually has a solar panel that is on top of that gray box. And if it's indoor, it won't have that solar panel. And there's a little antenna that sticks out of that box, which is how it communicates from a cellular network standpoint. So all the data is transferred from a cellular standpoint. And then there's uh, a couple ports in that box itself and a couple ports at the bottom of that tripod. Uh, And that tripod and that port, uh, they're all the ports are the same. So you can actually plug in up to four different sensors. And that's when it comes into the soil part of this. So it actually plugs in kind of think you think of like a, uh, a USB cord that would plug into your computer. So you plug in that that uh, cord into either the, the top gray box or at the bottom of the tripod. And then that cord runs six to 12 feet in length and it's rodent proof and weatherproof and all those things. And at the end of that is where you'll find the actual probe in this case for soil or soil oxygen uh, and so forth. So that's how all of your underground stuff is done is by a cord that runs and all your above ground sensors then get mounted on top of that gray box. So like your solar radiation comes off that gray box and we actually have a extender pole that can actually put the solar radiation up to 80 inches in the air. So like, for example, if you're a corn grower and you want to measure what your solar radiation is in the canopy, you could keep raising that pole up as your corn grows. So you'd actually know what the light intensity is right where the leaves are that you want to take the reading from. Um, so that gives you kind of a, a little bit of a, 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 a visual description in your, uh, in your brain now as you're thinking about it. So Josh, your device takes all of this data and transfers it over to your mobile app. So why don't you take us through that platform as well and kind of how the data is shown through your app so growers can um, depict that data? Yeah, Ash, and there, there's two ways that growers can get the data. The first one is right on with the uh, the mobile app. So we live in a mobile world. We all have apps on our phones these days. And so the idea there is that data is at the the touch of your hand at any given point in time. So when the Air Scout transfers the data cellularly, we have it set up by default. Uh, we collect data every 45 minutes from the Air Scout. And we can actually do it uh, more quicker. In some research situations, people want a data reading, let's say, every 10 minutes. Um, so we can actually do it quicker, but our default is 45 minutes. In real time, as soon as that data transfers, it comes, it hits our cloud, it hits our servers, and then it hits back to your, your mobile device, to your app device. And what that do, then does on that mobile app, or the other way that you can a grower can access data is through our website. 
And web platform, just like any other mobile platform, can give you a little bit more uh, tools and flexibility for actual uh, downloading the data and some other manipulation there that, that apps don't always have. But on the app, it's pretty robust where it gives you the opportunity to see different charts. So like, for example, if you were a, uh, a grower that, so this morning I was grow, grow, uh, with a grower that was growing watermelons. So as we were out in the field with that grower, we were looking at the Air Scout in the field that I just described a couple minutes ago, looking at the app on the farmer's phone and looking at the real-time data that just took place from a water event from 10 minutes earlier. And when we're looking at that water event, we could see two things on that grower's phone. One, we could see the moisture percentage increase, and we could also see the EC uh, increase because there was fertilizer in that water, but also because as we added moisture, the EC increases in soil because now there's more cation anion exchange going on. Um, so uh, that's the cool thing about it. It's all... It's all graphs, and you can choose multiple data points and graph them on top of each other and easily accessible through your, your mobile app or, or through our website. That is really neat, Josh. It's incredible the kinds of technology that can be brought, well, into the field, but then also right into our hands via our mobile phones. But, of course, this technology isn't free. Josh, bring us up to speed. What does pricing look like for somebody who's interested in Earth Scout? Yeah, absolutely. So, so a couple things on the Earth Scout. So first thing, uh, we understand agriculture. I'm, I'm a farm boy originally from Wisconsin. I've worked in ag my entire life and we understand the value proposition for data changes, uh, based off of every grower and every segment. And the important thing for growers to understand with the Earth Scout before they get into dollars and cents is that it's their data and the data is as valuable to them as it, as their ability to manage and measure and really make changes to their farm, but it's their data. So within that, we've created two programs to show flexibility. Uh, one is they can buy the Air Scouts outright, and they run on a MSRP from 1995, so $1,995, to $2,995, $2,995. And that gives you different options if you buy the unit, and different options is mostly different sensors based off of your need as a grower in which data points that you would like to collect. The second part of this to show flexibility and show that ROI changes differently with growers is we offer a lease program for growers. So it's a four-year lease program. So that way, instead of you know paying that money up front, which you could, you may, there might be tax reasons or your accountant says there's other reasons that you want to do it versus a lease. So we allow both ways to, to be flexible. Uh, in the lease program, it includes the uh, the actual uh, yearly fee for the cellular network. If you buy the uh, the Earth Scout, one of the units outright, there's an additional $265 a year for the data. So it's similar to um, getting a cell phone. So when you walk into the cell phone store and you buy the latest, greatest Motorola or iPhone or pick your favorite brand, when you when you sign up for that contract for that phone, you buy the phone and you have a cell plan separately. This is a, the same thing. So you buy the Earth Scout and then you pay for that yearly data differently. So even though you might pay the 1995 up front, you'll still have that $265 fee per year ongoing um, just for your cellular network access. Well, Josh, I tell you what, it's been really interesting to learn about Earth Scout. 
how can our listeners keep in contact with you and the Earth Scout company? Yeah, absolutely. So the uh, first thing they can do is they can check out our website, which is earthscout.com. And they can uh, see everything that we've got going there, units. They can also follow us on uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn. Uh, we're on all your social favorite social media uh, sites as well from that aspect. And, and uh, we do love hearing uh, from growers and grower feedback and having conversations. Uh, it's really been the Air Scout mantra. And we've had a lot of roundtables with growers the last several years and a lot of growers who've been with us every step of the way. And, in product development. And so that constant contact for us with growers is, is really important, especially with new technology like this. All right. Well, Josh, thanks for taking the time to chat with us. Really cool stuff happening in agriculture. Be sure to check out their website and be sure to let us know if you're seeing some things, changes in technology in agriculture. We want to hear about it. We want to highlight it. We want to make sure that growers across the country are familiar with them so that more people can become more efficient in agriculture as margins get tighter. With that, Ashton, if folks want to listen to past episodes of the Ag News Daily podcast, where should they go? They can go to agnewsdaily.com and you can keep up with us on all social media at agnewsdaily. Fantastic. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.